Kia family. So for those who don't know me, which hopefully isn't too many, my name is Peter. I grew up around here. In fact, I went to uh, Hutt City Baptist for uh, four years uh, before leaving my wife, who is Canadian, to return to Toronto to look after her mum. Earlier this month, I unfortunately uh, had to come back because my dad had passed away. So we've spent the last uh, few weeks tomorrow to go back to Canada. And so uh, I've always considered this church to be home here. Uh, when I come back, I meet with Rob. He's my pastor here. So you are family, and he is my pastor. Uh, so I get two. I get to double dip, one over there and one here. Uh, and so I was meeting with Rob, and I said, well, Rob, what's planned for Christmas? And he gave me the usual rundown, and I said, well, would you like me to preach? Now, I have to tell you, he's never let me preach before. <laughs> he didn't, no. So he said, sure. He has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> That's all right. This is an oldie but a goodie. Um, so, yeah, I just want to... To me, now, if you know me, many of you have... It's me. It's always me. <laughs> I can hear it going in and out, so we'll just get that fixed up. Should I clip it to my belt instead of my pocket? Okay, we'll try that. I am loud enough, so we'll see how it goes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question this morning. You're allowed to talk back. What's your favorite part of the Christmas story? Maybe some of the kids who are here this morning. We've got this manger scene over here. What's your favorite part of the manger scene? What's your favorite character? And you're not allowed to give the Sunday school answer of Jesus. What's your favorite part of the Christmas story? Does anyone have something that really just resonates with them or, or they, they just like to, to think about that part of the story? Anyone? The donkey. The, the donkey. Yes, yes. Christmas from the donkey's perspective is always interesting. Anyone else? I like the shepherds. Yeah, I do too. I like the shepherds. Yep, yep. Just average, everyday folk out in the middle of nowhere doing their thing. Yeah, I like the shepherds. Anyone else? What about over here? We've got some kids over here. What's your favorite part of the Christmas story? The oblivious family upstairs. The oblivious family upstairs? Absolutely. They had no idea what was happening downstairs, did they? <laughs> Not a clue. Absolutely. Anyone else? Well, I imagine for most of us, it's the presents. Right? If we're really honest... What we most remember about Christmas are the presents. But all of these parts of the story, all of the characters, all of the unwritten characters, all of the, the gifts and the things that we celebrate at this time of year, they're all wonderful. But none of them are my favorite part of the Christmas story. It's my, my favorite part is the part that everyone leaves out. Now, when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he starts in chapter 2, at verse 1. But this Christmas narrative goes until verse 
40. But we only ever read up to verse 20. Why? We're actually leaving out half of the story. You see, we stop when one of our favorite characters, the shepherds, hightail it back to the hills, as if that was the end of the story. But we're only halfway done. You see, for Luke, he wants us to know that there's more about this birth story. So, let's get my notes right. So we know that Luke is not yet done with telling us about the birth of this child. Because when he talks about John in chapter 1, he starts, he ends at uh, the end of chapter 1 with these words. He says, And the child, John, grew and became strong in spirit. That's how he ends the story of John's birth. Now, he doesn't end the story of Jesus' birth with, And the shepherds went home. He ends it with these words. He says, And the child grew and became strong, exactly the same way he ends the story of John's birth. And he goes on to say that, um, that he was very wise and he was blessed by God's grace. So as important as those first 20 verses are, and as beautiful as those first 20 verses are, they are not the whole story. It's like we have a present and we've ripped off the wrapping paper, but we haven't actually opened the gift inside. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the gift inside the rest of the story. So let's continue where we typically end with our Christmas narrative. We're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 22. And I can't read up from all the way up there. We'll just have to do my best to follow along with this little clicker thing. And I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version. It may be different from what you have in your Bible or on your phone, which is fine. If you want to read along with me, you're welcome to. The time came for making Mary clean as required by the law of Moses. So Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem. There they presented him to the Lord. In the law of the Lord, it says, the firstborn, the firstboy born in every family must be set apart for the Lord. They also offered a sacrifice. They did it in keeping with the law, which says a pair of doves or two young pigeons. In Jerusalem, there was a man named Simeon. He was a good and godly man. He was waiting for God's promise to Israel to come true. The Holy Spirit was with him. And the Spirit had told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The Spirit led him into the temple courtyard. Then Jesus' parents brought the child in. They came to do for him what the law required. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Lord, you are king over all. Now let me, your servant, go in peace. That is what you promised. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the sight of all nations. It is a light to be given to the Gentiles. It will be the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, Jesus' mother, This child is going to cause many in Israel to fall and rise. God has sent him, but many will speak against him. The thoughts of many hearts will be known, and a sword will wound your own soul too. There was also a prophet named Anna. She was the daughter of Phenuel from the tribe of Asher. Anna was very old. After getting married, she lived with her husband seven years. Then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. She worshipped night and day, praying and going without food. Anna came up to Jesus' family at that moment. She gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the time when Jerusalem would be set free. Joseph and Mary did everything the law of the Lord required. And then they returned to Galilee. They went to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was very wise. He was blessed by God's peace. Now, I know that's not as exciting as the first half of the story. There are no angels, no miracles, no sheep, and no donkey. But Jesus, his parents, and two old folks in a church. If there was a way to put the kids to bed on Christmas Eve and just have them fall asleep quickly, this would be the story to tell them. Because they'd probably fall asleep halfway through. Now, the context of this part of the Christmas story is actually 40 days after Jesus' birth. You see, all the excitement has died down. The shepherds are back in the fields. No wise men can be found anywhere. Angels are back tucked up nicely in heaven. Mary and Joseph have probably taken their baby back home to Nazareth. But now they have to make a trip. Another trip. Almost as long as the last one. This time to Jerusalem, to the temple. And Mary and Joseph are obediently fulfilling their obligations under the law. Dedication of the firstborn and purification of the mother. Now I want to point out two interesting Bible nerd facts here. We have any Bible nerds in the house? See, I'm the resident Bible nerd in my church. So yep, fantastic. Okay, So two Bible nerd facts for those that like to geek out on this stuff. The first is that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem. In the first half of this chapter, sorry, the first half of, yeah, of the chapter, Luke points out that Mary and Joseph had to travel from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem due to the census. Now, Rob talked about this a few weeks ago and how much of an imposition that was and how that showed how much the, the state of Rome had control over these people and how onerous that was. But now, 40 days later, they have to travel almost exactly the same journey again. It's only nine kilometers from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. They probably got all the way back home, had a few weeks rest, and then probably came all the way back again. It 
in one chapter, this poor young family is forced to make not one, but two arduous and risky journeys. And this religious system that is supposed to bring life and freedom to them is also taking a harsh toll, just like the Roman governor did. Now, the second Bible-led fact I want you to see here is the statement that they offered a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, the casual reader will be forgiven for glossing over this. Luke tells us that they do this in keeping with the law. And the Jewish reader will tell us that this law is from Leviticus chapter 12, which is completely true. But a really observant reader would recall that Leviticus 12 actually called for the offering of a lamb and a dove or pigeon. The option for two doves or two pigeons actually comes from a concession in verse 8. If the family are too poor to afford the lamb, they can offer two doves or pigeons, being the cheaper animals. And the point that Luke wants us to notice here is that this family was poor, very poor. Not only were they forced to make two long, arduous, and quite likely expensive trips, but by the time they got to Jerusalem, they did not have enough money to afford to buy even a lamb. All they could afford was the two of the cheapest possible offerings to satisfy their requirements. Now, okay, nerding over, as interesting as that is, this part of the story doesn't actually center around the Holy Family, but around two other people. The first is Simeon. He is described as being righteous and devout, obedient to the Holy Spirit. In fact, God had already been working in him and talking to him, something you don't hear about for a couple of books in the Bible yet. But here, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was already with him and had told him, had given him a special revelation that he would not die until he had seen God's Messiah. Now, I imagine that this day for Simeon started out normal, just like any other day. Now, Luke doesn't tell us anything about Simeon, except that he probably isn't a priest. And this day starts like every other, until he sees this young family come, like so many had done before, to dedicate a young child. Now, the second person in the story is Anna. We are told that she is old and alone, probably for about 70 years, maybe 60 years, she has lived alone. And in that culture, she would have had no assets, no support, which is why she spends all her time at the temple, because she had nowhere else to go. She had nothing to sustain her. She is also from one of the northern tribes. Just a little bit of, again, Bible geekiness going on here. Luke has just put this little slip in about she is from the, the tribe of Phenol. 
and that is a northern tribe, not a southern tribe. So she is an outsider in the temple, someone who is despised and not liked and would have not had any land in Jerusalem for her family to support her from. But yet, she spends her time daily at the temple. Luke says that she never left the temple. As a woman, she couldn't go past the first court, the court of the woman. She wasn't allowed to go up to the next level. She probably slept in that courtyard and lived on the handouts from passers-by some days. But as Luke tells us, not every day. Many days without food. And another interesting fact here is that Luke calls her a prophet. This is significant because of the very few woman prophets who are mentioned in the Old Testament. And because the Jews considered that they had not been a prophet since Malachi 350 years earlier. And now Luke describes her as a prophet. And for her too, today started just like every other day. Simeon was probably off doing whatever Simeon did outside the temple. We don't know if he saw Mary and Joseph as they approached the temple. Maybe he did. We don't know. Maybe he was a merchant in the courtyards outside the temple precincts. Maybe he was the one that sold them, those two pigeons, so that they could make the offering that was required of them. But all of a sudden, Simeon is going about his day and God speaks to him. Now, Simeon, go now into the temple courtyard. Hurry, come and see what I have promised you. I have begun, the Messiah is here. And he runs into the temple courtyard. He runs to the family. God's spirit is showing him something really clear now. It is filled with joy and yet laced with sorrow. And he erupts in song about this boy and he lays his hands on the boy and his mother and he blesses them, seeing the pain that they are both going to endure. And Anna, probably watching all of this happen from the other side of the courtyard, also comes to join Mary and Joseph. Now Luke doesn't record what she said to the family, but he does tell us that she is so impacted by this experience that she becomes the first evangelist, taking the message of what she has seen to tell many others. So this story, the part that we never tell at Christmas time, centers around two people. People who are waiting for God to act. People who are waiting for God to reveal his deliverer, the one who would fulfill the prophecies of God. People waiting for God to set his people free. But why two people? I've skipped a few slides there. But why two people? Because testimony can only be established as true on the testimony of two witnesses. And because it parallels the first meeting of Jesus on his resurrection, a woman, Mary Magdalene, followed by Peter. And both of them declare that our wait is over. 
Simeon says, now I can die in peace. Now we have what we have been longing for. We have not waited in vain. God has finally delivered on his promise. He has proved himself faithful. Simeon declares that this child is the answer to his prophecy to not die before seeing the Lord's Christ. He has now seen God's salvation in this tiny little baby. And he goes on to say, not quite sure which slide it's on. He goes on to say that this baby is a light to the nations, echoing the promise to Abraham to bring the pagans out of darkness, and that he is also a glory to Israel, completing her mission on earth and giving her the recognition that she deserves. It is this message to Mary and Joseph that sits at the center of this passage verses 34 and 35. Simeon says here that there are two reasons that Jesus exists. To cause the stumbling and rising of many in Israel is the first. Jesus challenged and corrected everything that people thought they knew about the kingdom of God. He caused many to stumble. They had to choose. They had to choose to either continue in their erroneous ways and beliefs or to choose to move towards God and embrace this young baby who would be called the Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, God with us, and forge a new path forward. But they had to stumble and choose. And Simeon also said that it would be a sign that is spoken out against This word sign is actually the word that we translate as miracle. A sign points to God. One that will challenge the status quo. Because if it were true, if what Simeon says was true, if what Anna takes out to all the people she meets in the courtyards for days and days and weeks and months to come, if this were true, it would change everything. It would really change everything. The storyteller, Luke, in his second book, Acts, tells us about a young man named Saul, a fervent Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was persecuting the Christians. In fact, he took great pleasure in persecuting the Christians. But Saul on a long road, met Jesus. And he was forced to choose. He was so perplexed, but he realized that if this were true, if this voice speaking to him was in fact Jesus, the one they call the Messiah, that if this was true, it changes everything. And it did. He made a complete change, turning towards God and abandoning his old ways and becoming the biggest evangelist of his day, taking this message just like Anna did. In fact, Anna took it to the people in Jerusalem. Paul took it 
to the people of the entire Roman world, to the Gentiles. So do you know why this is my favorite part of the Christmas story? It's my favorite because it's not a cute moment. People don't make Christmas cards about this part of the story. They don't make little precious moments figurines. They don't draw beautiful little pictures. It's my favorite because it's not miraculous. It's in stark contrast to the first half of the story. It's my favorite because it is here that God joins the past, the present, and the future together in this young baby. It's my favorite because it doesn't shy away from the pain and the suffering that lie before this little boy and his family. It's my favorite because this is where the ordinary meets the divine and explodes with purpose. This part of Luke's story, the part that he doesn't want us to miss, screams out to us, demanding an answer. What are you waiting for? Like Anna and Simeon, when we meet Jesus, we need to declare this. And it demands that we choose. Are we going to respond to the work of God before us and join him? Or are we going to return to our ordinary day and go on as if nothing special has happened? So I want to ask you all this morning, what are you waiting for? Some of you are here today because someone dragged you here. You don't really want to be here. This is a little uncomfortable. In fact, you don't even know most of the words of the songs. Some of you are here today because you're not sure about this God thing. But we seem to get worked up about Christmas and maybe it was a good time to show up. Some of you are here because it's the one time of year you go to church. You can take that off your list. Yep, did that this year. Some of you are here because it's just a normal Sunday. That's what you do on Sunday. It's just routine. To all of you, I ask, what are you waiting for? This picture of Jesus isn't the cute, cuddly, hallmark one that you simply pack up after Christmas and put away in the attic until next Advent. This isn't the Jesus, sorry, this is the Jesus that demands something from us. This is the Jesus that calls out to you and to me and says that he is willing to die a cruel and unjust death just so that you might come to know him and the Father who sent him who loves you. This is the Jesus that calls you by name and says, I love you. I forgive you. Come home. The first half of Luke's Christmas story is this lovely nativity scene, the baby in the manger, the shepherds with their sheep, the wise men with their gifts. In a few days, all of those things will get put back in the box and stored. But this year, there is a great present that is only half opened. It's begging you to unwrap it. Are you going to unwrap it? Or are you going to put it back in the box, put it away, with the rest of the story. What are you waiting for? Inside this present 
is the greatest gift you will ever receive. Jesus has promised that he will join you if you let him. He will put his spirit in us. He will transform us into his likeness. And if we accept him, we know we can come to know peace on earth right here and right now. So I ask you again, what are you waiting for? I want to encourage you this Christmas to meet the real Jesus and to choose to enter a life with him and not return to that Monday normal life that is happening outside today. You see, out there, it's just a normal Sunday. Okay, maybe some people got some nice presents. It's not, not usual. But nothing that special is really happening. But in here, God is revealing his plan for you and for the world around us, the world that he loves. And if you'd like to know more about that plan, I encourage you to come over to our prayer section and just chat with someone after our service. You know that the other reason that I love this part of Luke's Christmas story is that my favorite Christmas song comes right out of it. See, I grew up here in Lower Hutt. We used to go Christmas caroling. We had Christmas in the park. We'd go around the neighborhood singing to Sharon elderly people. We'd go to the hospital and sing Christmas carols through the hospital. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do any of that anymore. And I love Christmas time. In fact, in Toronto, there's this radio station that actually plays real Christmas carols. Starting on the 1st of December, they start to play real, and not just like those, you know, those set, you know, sanitized Christmas songs, you know, jingle, uh, like, you know, all about Rudolph and snow and you know, all that sort of garbage. Okay? They actually sing Christian Christmas carols and they play them on the live radio in public. It's amazing. And I love it. But my favorite Christmas song doesn't even come from the old Christmas carols that I love and grew up singing. It's the song, Mary, Did You Know? In fact, my favorite version, if you, if you haven't heard it, please go to YouTube and look up Mary, Did You Know? by Pentatonics. When I hear that, I shudder. I just shudder. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And that when you kiss the face of Jesus, you kiss the face of God. It speaks of the unbearable joy and pain that Mary will experience as her baby boy embodies all that God has in store for him. And it shows us the true heart of God for his people. And it reminds us that he has made a way for us to join him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this part of the Christmas story that maybe we had forgotten was there. We thank you that you are not just found in the angels and the shepherds and the loud noises and the birth in the manger, but you are also found in the mundane and the poverty and the, the, just the, the, the ritual of people going about doing what they are supposed to be doing. And that even in that, you call out to us to see you, to find you, to join you. Father, I pray that we would all this morning know who you are. That we would not be waiting. We would be embracing. 
Father, I thank you for this church, for Pastor Rob, for these people, and pray that, Lord, you would bless them with that sense of purpose that you came to give. And I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate Christmas today, that we would remember that Christmas is not a day. It's not even a season. In fact, it's more of a lifestyle where we acknowledge that you are in the everyday, the ordinary, the things that are untold, and that you call out to us day after day to join you in your work. We thank you that you have invited us in to be with you, to work with you, and to live forever with you. Because of that little baby you sent to earth, the one we call Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who is called the Christ. Amen.